Good morning to you all, dear friends. Today, we begin a new chapter in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. In case you are wondering why the book of Daniel, well, the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation go together in very important ways. In fact, Daniel is a necessary foundation to lay down first if someone is going to have a good understanding of the prophecies of Revelation. Now, having spent some time in chapter 2, we now move to chapter 7. You may also be wondering, what about chapters 3, 4, 5, and 6? Why jump from 2 to 7? The reason is, there are four prophetic chapters in the book of Daniel, and these run parallel to each other in that they cover the same ground, the same prophetic timeline. And these are chapters 2, 7, 8, and 11. And so, studying these together lays a solid prophetic foundation which takes us from the time of the prophet all the way to the end of time and the return of Jesus Christ. But each of these chapters use different symbolism and gives a different perspective on what God has revealed must come to pass. Each one brings in some additional detail that the previous chapter did not give, and so there is an ever-widening and ever-increasing pool of understanding which fills out different parts of the puzzle, thus giving a well-rounded understanding of the matters that God has given through his prophets. Now the topic of today's study is prophetic parallels. So having embarked upon these studies, we have now come to chapter 7. I have to say that this chapter is one that you have to approach with caution, with the eyes of your mind wide open. There is so much here, and it's going to be quite an adventure to move through this. And once again, we're dealing with a dream, a vision of the night. As in chapter 2, it uses symbols, and the symbols are identified partly in the context of the chapter, so we need to get right into it. Now, so far in the book of Daniel, the prophet himself hasn't received any visions or dreams. Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had received two dreams that had been interpreted by Daniel. God gave Daniel now dreams to interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dreams in chapters 2 and 4. But by the time we get to chapter 7, Nebuchadnezzar has passed on and another king by the name of Belshazzar is ruling. Daniel himself, who was a young man during the time of King Nebuchadnezzar, has survived two kings and is now well up in age in chapter 7. In verse 1, we're told that the prophet himself receives a dream and a vision and proceeds to tell the main facts or the main points of this vision that he received. Let's read Daniel 7 from verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. Daniel spoke and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of the heavens strove above the great sea. That's verse 2. So he's seeing in his vision a turbulent sea, 
with winds blowing in coming from the east, west, the north, and the south, whipping up the waters. As I said earlier, there is much symbolism here, but I will endeavor to break things down and explain the symbols, making things clear as we go along. Now, once we understand what these mean, then everything comes together quite clearly. Winds symbolize strife, as in wars. You might have heard the expression sometimes, the winds of strife, as is referred to in Revelation chapter 7 and verse 1. So strife, as in wars and conflicts and calamities between nations. The seas represent peoples, multitudes of people. In other words, the densely populated areas of the cities of the world in that time. The book of Revelation correlates with the book of Daniel in very significant ways, as I said earlier. In Revelation chapter 17 and verse 15, we are told, And he says to me, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and languages. So in the dream, the seas in a stormy, rough, and turbulent state represent nations in a state of conflict, nations at war, the densely populated centers of human civilization throughout history, striving for power and control over rival areas. And it is out of this ongoing state of conflict, of war and bloodshed, that earthly kingdoms emerge toppling each other in the process. One gets to the top and becomes the superpower of the day, and it stays on top for a period of years, but over time it weakens and is later conquered by another nation that rises to superpower position in its day. If we just think about it, this is what the history of mankind looks like ever since sin entered the world, even to our time greed, and a constant striving for power and control over other nations. Nothing has changed even to this very day. Remember now that the prophet lived roughly 2,600 years ago from our time, and God is showing him how the future will unfold in this fallen sinful world from his time down into the future. So he is having a vision, and this is what he sees next. Verse 3. And four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse or different from one another. The first was like a lion and had wings like that of an eagle. I beheld till the wings thereof were plucked, and it was lifted up from the earth and made to stand upon the feet as a man, and a man's heart was given to it. That is verse 4. Now let's look at three points from this fourth verse. Number one, a lion with eagle's wings. Number two, it eventually had its wings plucked. Number three, it later stands up as a man. Follow me closely as we take these three points one by one. First, a lion with wings. This is a symbol of ancient Babylon. This former empire was famous for having these kinds of figures as a kind of emblem, a kind of insignia in its public spaces. This was a kind of emblem for which Babylon was well known back in its time by all the nations around. It was an emblem of protection by the gods that they worshipped in that heathen culture. Huge towering figures of lions were placed on both sides of the gates into the city and the entrance ways to its magnificent palaces also. 
Even in modern times, since the ancient city was discovered and excavated by teams of archaeologists between 1899 and 1917, during the excavation process, from underneath the sand which had covered the area for hundreds of years, they dug up thousands of artifacts, which included massive statues of lions with huge wings. Some of these can be seen on the internet just by searching. In fact, just a year ago, in 2020, thousands of these artifacts from the ancient city of Babylon were on exhibit in the Museum of Natural History in Yale. Also in recent years, the United Nations has since designated this ancient site where Babylon's once stood as a World Heritage Site, now visited by tourists and others studying its history. So a lion with wings symbolizing the ancient city of Babylon. In fact, also, the Israelites were also conquered by Babylon and held in captivity for 70 years because they had turned away from Jehovah and started worshipping idols. God had sent prophets to warn them, but they refused to listen. So God took his protection from them and left them to their enemies. So Jeremiah the prophet told them that Babylon was on the march to come at Jerusalem and conquer it. But notice the language he used in Jeremiah chapter 4 and verse 7. The lion has come up out of his thicket, in other words, his lair, and the destroyer of the nation has set out. He has left his place to make your land a waste. Your cities will fall into ruins without inhabitant. Jeremiah 4, 7. And that is exactly what happened. Their cities were left in ruins and they were taken captive. But notice that Babylon coming against them is described by Jeremiah as the lion, the destroyer of nations. So when God showed the prophet Daniel in vision, the symbol of a huge lion coming out of the rough seas, it would be evident immediately to the prophet that this first beast is representing Babylon, the ruling empire of his day. The Bible itself makes this clear in other scriptures written by other prophets also. Now this lion with wings, next we're told that the wings got plucked. In other words, the lion eventually gets to a point in time where it loses its power. Babylon will eventually be overthrown, in other words, and this will be seen a few verses later. Then another point, the third point, the lion becomes represented as a man. There is a transition point, in other words, at which after Babylon loses its power in ancient times, there will be another Babylon, another emergence of that which is called Babylon, and which will develop into the world, this time identified as a man. Like the ancient Babylon, it will rule over all the nations, but this time it will be a spiritual Babylon, at the head of which is a man. And that is why we find that in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, it speaks of Babylon again reigning in the last days of earth's history. These things will become clearer later on in the chapter. Now as we continue reading in chapter 7, the lion with wings is followed by another great beast coming up out of the turbulent waters of the ocean that the prophet is seeing in vision. Verse 5. And behold, another beast, a second like a bear, and it raised up itself on one side, and it had three ribs in the mouth of it, between the teeth of it, and they said out thus unto it, Arise, devour much flesh. Notice three points again. 
one side is stronger than the other. Three ribs in its mouth, and it came into power as a great devourer. Let's look at these. One side stronger than the other. Babylon was followed by the Medes and the Persians joined together. The Persians became more powerful than the Medes, and eventually it became known as the Persian Empire. Three ribs in its mouth. The ribs represent its conquests. Three primary nations that the Medo-Persian Empire conquered to gain its superpower status. These are Egypt, Lydia, and Babylon itself. Next, we're told it came into power as a great devourer. In other words, it conquered and devastated many nations in its rise to power, with the three we just mentioned being just the main ones, represented by the three ribs in its mouth. Then a third beast arises from the waters, Daniel 7 and verse 6. After this I behold and lo another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl. The beast had also four heads, and dominion was given to it. So notice now that this bear representing the Persian Empire is followed by a leopard with four wings and four heads. The Persian Empire was later conquered by the Greeks. The four wings represent speed, speed of conquest, the shortness of time it took to gain supremacy over the other nations. Under the leadership of Alexander the Great, the Greeks took the shortest time in history, only eight years, to rise to superpower status over the nations of its day. Dominion was given to it. It rose to superpower status over the other nations by defeating them. And the foreheads represent a division into four different leaders. In other words, shortly after Alexander became world leader, he died from an overdose of wine. He could conquer nations but could not control his own passions. Solomon writes in Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than he who conquers a city. That is just like saying self-control is where the true strength and power lies. He could conquer the world but could not conquer his own emotions. Now, after Alexander died, various of his generals and commanders who were in charge of large sections of the army started warring against each other to become the next ruler. There was much strife and bloodshed which went on for a while until eventually they agreed to divide the whole into four parts, each ruling over one section. The names of these four generals were Cassander, Lysimachus, Ptolemy, and Seleucus. Now, it is not important that you remember these names unless, like me, you have a great interest in world history. However, I mention them because later in Daniel chapter 11, the last of the parallel chapters, we will see a lot of wars being fought between the Ptolemies and the Seleucids. By then, these are the two remaining heads of the four into which the Greek empire was divided. So by showing the prophet a leopard with four wings and four heads, God was showing the prophet to write for our sakes that we may understand that prophecy will be confirmed to us in our day, that when the Greeks would come to power, they would do so rapidly in a short period of time, but soon their kingdom would be caught up in internal strife, resulting in it being divided under four heads, four different rulers. 
Then a fourth beast arises, Daniel chapter 7 and verse 7. After this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth. It devoured and brake in pieces, and stamped the residue with the feet of it. And it was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Wow, amazing. Now we know what a lion looks like. Even those who have never seen one in real life, at least they've seen them in pictures, on TV or wherever. We also know what a bear looks like, and we know what a leopard looks like. But notice that this fourth beast coming up out of the turbulent waters is not described as anything that we know, not like anything in the animal kingdom. It is described as being dreadful and terrible and exceedingly strong, having great iron teeth. Notice the word iron. And devouring and breaking everything else in pieces and stamping upon the pieces afterwards, different from all the other beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns upon its head. This fourth beast, with iron teeth, represents the Roman Empire, the kingdom represented by the iron in the statue of Daniel chapter 2, which we studied before. Remember, these are parallel prophecies. In Daniel chapter 2, we saw the head of gold representing Babylon, the silver representing the Medes and Persian Empire, the bronze representing Greece, and then the iron legs representing Rome. Now, in Daniel chapter 7, we now see the lion with wings representing Babylon, the bear representing the Medes and Persians, the leopard with four wings and four heads representing Greece, and then followed by the great dragon-like beast with iron teeth representing Rome. Rome became the most ruthless of them all and ruled for much longer than the others before it. So in the scriptures, God has given us many different prophetic outlines as to how the future will unfold down throughout time until the return of Jesus Christ. These prophecies cover the same ground, each one giving additional details. And by doing this, God has made sure that we cannot get this wrong. We have no reason to misunderstand these things, as they will become extremely important to us in these times. They cover the same timeline from the time of the prophet all the way down to the end of time. And so they are what you may call parallel prophecies. So just as in Daniel 2 we see a huge statue made of different metals representing different empires which would come into power, each succeeding the other, so too in Daniel chapter 7 we see four wild beasts, each corresponding with one of the four metals of the image in that same order. So these four monstrous beasts represent the same lineup of empires which would emerge in history after each other and each making its mark upon world history. So to re-emphasize the point, Daniel chapter 2 and Daniel chapter 7 covers the same ground, the same period of time, and deals with the same kingdoms using different symbols. We know this also because in the very context of the prophecy, an interpretation is given to Daniel. And in verse 16, he's very troubled while he's in the vision, troubled by what he was seeing. And so he comes near to one of the people he sees in vision and he asks him the meaning of it all. 
Reading from verse 15, it says, And I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, four kingdoms, in other words, four powers which shall arise out of the earth. But notice how this angel in the vision encouraged the prophet in the next verse, verse 18. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. How encouraging. He knows that the prophet is perplexed and troubled by all that he is being shown to come upon the world. So he's saying, in essence, look, Daniel, I know all this is troubling for you, but don't worry. In the end, it will all work out in favor of the people of God. Earthly powers are featured as wild beasts ripping each other apart in their struggles for power and dominion. But in the end, they will all come to their end, and the everlasting kingdom will be given to the saints of God, those who remain faithful. Now, again, you might be wondering, why change the symbols and go over the same ground? The reason again is this. Each time the symbols are bringing out something new, they are telling a different part of the story. They are bringing a whole new perspective to the overall picture. And each one of these chapters brings out additional details to the whole account. So you get to see things from a different angle so that you are better able to get a full understanding of the matter. It is also fascinating to notice that all of these kingdoms are represented by predatory beasts. These are vicious and powerful animals used to symbolize the fact that all kingdoms in human history have used force and depended on military power and might in order to advance themselves. But by contrast, if we fast forward to God's kingdom as it is represented in Scripture, we discover that God chooses for his symbol a lamb. A lamb represents the kingdom of God as personified in Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. A docile, meek, humble animal that is led to the slaughter without murmuring and is sacrificed for the good of others. What a contrast! God does not use the same principles that human governments and human kingdoms use. God is not engaged in force and manipulation in order to bring people to their knees to worship him. No, that could never produce true worship from the heart, dear friends. That method can only produce fear-based compliance, but not true love-motivated obedience and loyalty. But we see Jesus as the Lamb of God. In the cross of Christ, we see that the power God uses to change hearts is based on love, a love that is so deep and strong that it is willing to sacrifice itself for the salvation of even those who are in rebellion against God. The power of the gospel, dear listener, is the power of truth and love. God says through the prophet Zechariah in Zechariah 4 and verse 6, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. The principle of love, dear friends, 
is more powerful than all the powers of earth combined in all of these beasts. How powerful? Well, Jesus says, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, meaning when he was crucified, I will draw all to me. John 12, verse 32. In other words, the power of the cross, the power that is embodied in the symbol of the Lamb slain for the sins of the world, is the power of God's love to draw sinners to himself without the use of force and violence. It is a powerful thing to realize that throughout the Bible, God is communicating to us the awesome fact that he does seek our salvation and our loyal worship, but only on the basis of a current of love returning to him from us, being motivated by the great love that he has shown for us. The scripture says, we love him because he first loved us. 1 John 4 and verse 19. Now we will stop here for today. And by God's grace, continue next week in unveiling these very important details in this chapter. And don't worry about remembering everything. The Bible says when you diligently seek to understand, when you need it, God will bring it back to your mind. So for now, grace and peace be to you all, dear friends, in the name of our soon coming Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God bless you all.